Hello, hockey humans of the world, and welcome to Tough Call Podcast. Are you frustrated at the inconsistency of NHL officiating? Are you tired of the Department of Player Safety's wheel of random punishments? Do you think the NHL could do more to protect its players? Do you want to keep the physicality to see more open ice checks and thunderous contact in the game of hockey, but without all the headshots? If so, this is the podcast for you. If not, this is also the podcast for you because the whole point of this and the Tough Call YouTube channel is to generate discussion on where we want the sport of hockey to go from here. Tough Call isn't about what I think the real NHL would do in any given situation or even what I think they should do. It's about what I would do if I were in charge of setting the standard for penalties, fines, and suspensions in my own league. And here we go. This is Tough Call. Hi, folks. Welcome to Tough Call Podcast, the Stanley Cup Playoff Edition, where I cover the 2023 Stanley Cup Playoffs. And this is Episode 3, Round 3, where I talk about all the fines and suspensions I'd have given out during the Eastern Conference Final and the Western Conference Final, and a few incidents I want to highlight along the way. So let's get right into this week's weekly total fines and suspensions. During the third round of the 2023 Stanley Cup Playoffs, the NHL's Department of Player Safety issued one fine and one suspension, both to the Dallas Stars, both from the same game. Over that same time period, Tough Call would have issued six fines and five suspensions. Again, this time, I'm a little heavy on the fines. I don't know what's gotten into me. Maybe I'm getting a little softer as the playoffs go on. I don't know. But I would have issued six fines and five suspensions still, which is still 11 incidents worth supplemental discipline compared to the NHL Department of Player Safety's two. And here's the ones we agree on. The Jamie Benn cross-check to Mark Stone. The more I watch it, the more vicious it gets. He's got Stone down. Stone has his arm up in a blocking motion because he sees what's coming. Ben had so much time to think about this. It wasn't a fall. He didn't fall on him and accidentally hit him. It wasn't a natural escalation of a heated exchange. It was a guy, Jamie Benn, seeing another player vulnerable, looking him in the eye, thinking about it, and choosing to do one of the worst possible things you can do anyway. No matter how vulnerable the opponent was, he had his hand up blocking it, basically looking him in the eye, pleading him, saying, no, don't do that to me. And he chose to do it anyway. And the actual Department of Player Safety gave him two games for that. To me, this has a play that has nothing to do with hockey. It's automatically in my 6-10 to 10 game suspension category. And because of the amount of time he had to think about it, because of the location of the cross-check. Like, it was so avoidable, so needless. So I give him the max 10 games for that. I, I Two just isn't enough, in my opinion, no matter what you think of it. It was too calculated. It was too much taking advantage of a player that had you had no business taking advantage of at that time. And also, at the end of Game 3, Max Domi was fined $5,000 by the Real NHL for slashing Mark Stone. And to be perfectly honest, I never saw a clip of it. I don't know what that's referencing. So I don't know whether I agree or not, but I'm happy with the fine in this case. So that's one of my fines is on a play that I didn't even see. But because the real NHL called it, I'll keep it as a notable offense. And now, as always, here's all the ones I think they missed. So we're talking about the Eastern Conference final here. Game one. I would have fined Sam Bennett $2,500 for a dangerous trip on Jesper Fast. 
I, I just don't see how you let him get away with this. It's been a problem the entire playoffs. I've given multiple fines and suspensions for very similar plays where players try and make it look like they're just doing a tight turn and they accidentally clip the back of another player's leg. It's, it's basically an accidental slew foot on purpose. So I'm going to fine him for that because that's consistent with everything I've seen this playoff so far, consistent with how I've dealt with every one of these incidents. But it's becoming a huge problem. I've, I've noticed it a lot over the last two years. And in particular, last year was really bad. And it just hasn't gone away this year. It looks like it's here to stay unless they do something about it. Also in game one, Alexander Barkov got three games. I would have given him three games, sorry, for a bear hug hit on, on Brett Pesci and. I'm actually going to talk about that in my incident of the week a little later in this episode. So I'm going to leave it alone for now. But basically, it, it calls into question the Brian Burke bear hug rule. And like I said, I'll get to that a little later on in my episode in my incident of the week segment. But also in game one, Radko Gudis. I would have fined him $5,000 for his cross-check push to the head of Jack Drury. It was a board battle, and Drury went down. And Gudis, for whatever reason, fell on top of him and kind of gave him a cross-check push to the helmet. It's basically a precursor to the Jamie Benn one on Stone. If they had called this one in game one of this series and people around the league saw, oh, they're cracking down on that, I really don't think Jamie Benn would have done what he did. And if he did, you can guarantee you would have been able to suspend him for a lot longer like my system. This one by Radko Gudis wasn't as obvious and it wasn't as targeted to the head, but it was definitely avoidable and needless, so I would have given him a $5,000 fine to prevent incidents like the one Ben did on Stone. This is how the system works. In Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Final, I would have given Jesperi Kotkaniemi three games for his hit on Mark Stahl. It was an avoidable push from behind with hands to the upper back, and he followed through with speed. So it, it was like a boarding or a checking from behind. Borderline play, but it's a two-hand shove to the back of the neck. So you really have to ask players to be more careful around that. It's nothing significantly major. I just called it the bare minimum three games for a category of a non-hockey play that isn't malicious. But to me, it's a cut and dry three games under my system and everybody would know it and he wouldn't do it. Game three, I would have fined Radko Gudis again. Now, I don't know how many times I've punished Radko Gudis throughout this playoff so far, but this is just yet another one. All these wouldn't happen because he just wouldn't be in the games anymore if he continued to act like this. And I bet you he would have smartened up in the first round and not acted like quite like this, quite as reckless, and he would have been a lot more effective as a player. But game three, Radko Gudis, $2,500 fine for a punch hit on Seth Jarvis, where he was just trying to throw a body check, and then he followed through with a forearm shove, shiver to the head. You don't do that. You can throw a body check. You're good at throwing body checks. You don't need to follow through and punch a guy in the head on purpose as a result. It's ridiculous. Game four, I would have also given Brent Burns six games for spearing on Matthew Kachuk. And this just goes consistently with all the things I've talked about. After the whistle, the scrums, the needless antagonizing of people, especially when your team is down and losing and you just go target someone just for the sake of targeting them. This is just gutless and stupid. It, it sure looks like mind games to people and you laugh and you say, oh, he's just giving them a little cup check and ha ha, what are you going to do? And Matthew Kachuk does that all the time. Yeah, but it, it escalates everything. This is a play that has nothing to do with hockey. It's spearing. It's in the rule book as a match penalty and yet we just laugh it off and call it a two-minute minor for slashing no 
This is a six-game suspension for spearing. It's the minimum in the six to ten games category because it's not that hard of a poke, but it's still a spear. So call it a spear, get rid of it, get it out of the game. I don't know how many times I have to say that. And now moving on to the Western Conference Final. In Game 2, I'd have given Nick Waugh a $2,500 fine for ripping the helmet off Lindell. It was in the defensive zone. Lindell had his helmet ripped off. He had to leave the ice in his defensive zone. And I believe that Vegas got a scoring chance or might have even scored a goal immediately after this. And it wasn't a situation where the helmet comes off through the natural course of play, organically through a battle. It, It was not just an accident. It was something that was intentional. It was something where the player made an excessive action that caused the helmet to come off. And to me, this has been consistently throughout the playoffs and throughout the regular season, so the tone would have been said. It's consistently a roughing penalty and consistently a fine, especially if it happens in a scrum or somewhere after the whistle. Now, this happened to be a board battle, like I said, and things got a little out of hand. And I do think that players who lose their helmet need to realize they can actually legally finish the current battle that they're in. They don't have to abandon everything completely. They can finish the scenario that they're currently in. But when the puck moves, now they either have to go to the bench or they always forget. They have the option of picking that helmet up and putting it back on. And as long as they take the time to put the helmet on and get the strap done up, then they can actually stay on the ice. And I know players don't think of that in the moment. They just need to get off. They panic a little bit. And they just try and get off the ice and get someone on. But they can actually pick up the the helmet and put it back on if the situation warrants it. And in this case, when you're in the defensive zone, I would strongly consider doing that rather than taking the time to go uh, off the ice. But in this case, really, he shouldn't have been put in that position to make that decision. This should have been a penalty on Nick Roy. And under my system, it would be a fine because we really want to discourage making the game unsafe by removing intentionally a piece of equipment, maybe not 100% intentionally, but clearly avoidably removing an opponent's piece of equipment that's protective, especially when it protects the head. In game two, Alex Petrangelo, I'd fine him $2,500 for cross-checking Mason Marchman. Again, this is consistent. Anything excessive a cross-check, especially getting close to the head, And this was a situation where Marchment was actually just doing a token flyby. He wasn't even really going to finish the check on Petrangelo, but Petrangelo felt the check coming and put his hands up in a defensive action, put his hands up in a cross-checking motion in front of his face. And in this case, he actually had to reach, extend his arms forward a little bit. It's not like Marchment was coming right at him and he just put his hands up to block him. He actually had to reach out and extend with his hands, and it was at head height. The only reason it's a fine and not a suspension is because I'm not even 100% sure he made full contact here. Marchment went down and grabbed his face, but I haven't been able to see a good enough video angle to see just how forceful the contact was. But the intent was clearly there. The act was clearly there of getting your stick up and reaching out. So I would fine Petrangelo for that. In game three of this series... Again, it involves Max Domi. Now, he would have got a fine already for a slash, but to me, before that, there was a situation where he got in a board battle. There was actually a bit of a, almost a slew foot, although I think it was kind of accidental, the way they collided with each other. And then Domi's team is losing. So after the whistle, he goes at a player and pushes them 
And then when that player actually starts to fight back now, because he has to, because now Domi is actually going and being the aggressor, the aggravator, trying to stir the pot. Then this player kind of shoves back. So then Domi goes at him and cross-checks him. And then he cross-checks him in the upper back on top of that. To me, this is a player, it's a, it's a non-hockey play that isn't malicious, but it isn't just a run-of-the-mill minor penalty. It's to the neck against the boards. It's clearly avoidable, and it's clearly a, a strategy to try and get either the other team off their game or to stir the pot enough to, to motivate his own team. And this, this can't be the way you do it. You can't do it by illegally cross-checking someone in the neck, especially against the boards like that. But then again, I'd also give a, an extra fine for the sucker punch. Um, he was going after Hag and trying to draw a penalty out of it after this whole scenario where he was already going to get a call. So it's, it's, again, another one of those ones where now it's not just a desperate player whose team is down and he's trying to motivate them illegally and stir the pot on purpose and get the other team off their game. Now it's a player who's getting a penalty and he's just doing anything to try and suck people in. To me, that should be penalized even more. You shouldn't reward that by giving the coincidental for the retaliation. You should punish that by giving that player even more penalty. And for me, this would result in both a suspension and a fine combined. Do you notice the theme here? The game is getting away from a team, so they resort to trying to stir the pot to get themselves going. It's come up in this playoffs time and time again like it always does in the playoffs. And the message in my league would be clear. Find another way. Be better. Be faster. Be stronger. You know what? Sometimes teams outplay you. Sometimes you don't get the bounces. You need to be tougher mentally and either dig in or regroup for the next game. But don't drag the other team down illegally just because you didn't come ready to play. Be better than that. As I mentioned earlier, this episode's incident of the week comes from game one of the Eastern Conference Final. It's an Alexander Barkov sort of bear hug hit, I'll call it, on Brett Pesce. It's uh, one of those scenarios where the puck's going into the corner and, and it's a race for the puck from the blue line, we'll say. And the defender is skating hard towards the corner to get the puck. And the forechecker is right on their tail, no real space between them. And you just know that defender's going to get blasted. And it's why they went to hybrid icing in this sort of situation. It's, it's a situation where we usually see a check from behind, a violent check from behind, or a violent impact with the boards via a boarding penalty. But they don't call these penalties because everyone in the world knows that that forechecker has to make that hit. Everyone in the world expects that defender to abandon playing the puck just to protect themselves from that oncoming forechecker. That they should completely ignore the puck and go into self-preservation mode because there's no way that forechecker isn't going to hit them. And with that mentality, I think we've already lost the plot because the forechecker has the onus to only make that hit if it's safe to do so. And when a player is skating full tilt towards the boards, facing the boards, it is not safe to do so and never will be safe to do so unless that player turns their body in some way that exposes their chest. And why would anyone do that when they know the player is one foot behind them skating full speed and going to drive them into the boards? Why would we demand that that player turn around and accept their fate? They have just as much a right to play the puck as the forechecker has to hit them. We need to start understanding that we should prioritize the ability to play the puck over the need for that forechecker to make the hit. Why is that the priority in every situation? 
where we let that checker off the hook, even though they make a hit they know isn't going to be safe. And they have the idea in their head when they hit the blue line. They don't wait and make a decision in the moment. From the second that puck is dumped in, they are tailing that defender going, oh boy, I'm going to blast this guy. They already have it in their head. They're committed to the hit mentally. So when things go wrong, when that defender doesn't open themselves up, when the defender keeps their back facing out and keeps their face towards the boards, it shouldn't be a surprise. It comes as a surprise to, a surprise to these four checkers. And they go, oh, well, I didn't have time to react. Yes, you did. You, you just made your choice way too early. And so another way to get around that is they're saying, well, if we're going to ask, if we're going to start calling these players for checking from behind sometimes, we have to give them the ability to throw a body check somehow. So why don't we let them do a bear hug? Why don't we let them grab the defender by the waist and be able to kind of throw them into the boards instead of a violent body check? At least this way they can sort of soften the blow. But to me, I don't see why that's the solution. I, I don't agree with the concept, the philosophy behind that proposal because again, it prioritizes the four checkers ability to make the hit over the defender's ability to play the puck. And in this case, we're actually saying, well, if that player is gonna commit one penalty, that's really dangerous, then why don't we let, instead of asking them to stop committing that penalty and giving meaningful punishments and calling it consistently, instead of asking them to not commit that one penalty, why don't we instead allow them to commit a different penalty that's less dangerous, so they stop committing the original penalty, which is the problem we're trying to fix. Does that sort of logic make any sense? Is that a good thought process? Is that a good way to fix the game and make it more safe? Is to encourage players to take a different penalty by not calling that penalty? This is a hold. And I know when Brian Burke kind of presented this idea, he likes to... He likes to say it's not a hold, that you know we should allow players to, to do this, and it's not a hold. It's just a matter of whether the officials are going to change the standard and call it a hold or not. But to me, if it's not a hold, then they could already do it. If it's not a penalty that we need to change, then why do we have to introduce a new rule and call it the bear hug rule? Because a bear hug is a hold. That's what's going on. And in this particular incident, the reason I brought it up is because Barkov grabs Pesci by the waist, but he also, in doing so, pins his arms down to his side. So when they go into the boards, Pesci has no ability to put his hands up and protect himself. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit less violent, but it's still straight on to the boards. The player now has no control over how hard he's going to go into the boards, and he has no way to stop the impact. It's basically as if he was by himself and just glided towards the boards and then kept going till he slammed into them. Just in a, in a glide instead of a body contact situation. So yeah, it's a little more controlled of an impact, but it's still just as ridiculous of an impact, just as needless, just as avoidable. I don't see this fixing anything other than now the player will absolutely not be able to play the puck, the defender when he goes, because now he's being on top of having to worry about somebody charging him or boarding him or checking from behind. Now he, he's completely lost the ability to use his hands, his stick. He can't play the puck anymore. He's got nothing to do except sit there and wait to be driven into the boards. And to me, that, that completely eliminates 
the idea that skill is at all a priority. It, it completely dictates that the player's ability to throw a hit will always trump in a, a player's ability to play the puck. And to me, that means the game is going in the wrong direction because I think both of those, I'm not saying take away physicality. I'm not saying we should eliminate that player's ability to throw the hit. I'm saying it should be just like any other scenario where that player can only make the hit if it is safe to do so. And it's just as reasonable to ask them to make the hit more softly or turn away from the hit altogether than it is to allow them to hold a player just so they can make the hit 100% of the time. This episode's by request is the Sam Bennett hit on Slavin from Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Final. And my word, what a check this was. But it was clean. Bennett even actually goes stick on puck. I have this posted on my YouTube channel. And if you just Google Bennett hit on Slavin or something, it should pop up and tough call. And you can, you can see the approach. The approach is low. It's controlled. He's gliding. He puts a stick on the ice and actually makes a play at the puck before he makes contact. And then he just glides through contact. Yeah, it was thunderous, but that's the whole point of tough call. You can have thunderous checks like this and still make a play on the puck. There's no need to explode or launch. The nature of the game makes the contact violent the way we want it, but that's what keeps it safe. Now, as always, we'll end our episode off with a segment called Here's the Thing. And I'm going to be talking about the attitude of, well, oh, well, it doesn't affect the outcome of the series. So we can't really argue too long about the call. It doesn't really change the outcome. It doesn't really affect anything. So we don't need to worry about it. And of course, I'm talking about the Eastern Conference final, the way that ended. And there's two things to talk about. First of all, the penalty call against Stahl with 57 seconds left, his trip on Forsling. There's a lot of debate about whether that was worth calling it a penalty in a 3-3 game, an elimination game with less than a minute to go. Uh, you got to put all that out the window to me. If it's a trip, it's a trip. If it's not, it's not. You can't really gauge, well, is it enough of a trip for the situation? I don't like that kind of mentality. I don't completely disagree with this call here. I mean, he did put his stick on Forsling's foot and Forsling went down. So that's a trip. You just have to decide whether he went down a little easy or not. It's not about whether this was a good call for that particular stage of the game. It's whether it was a good call or not. That's the only debate we should have. So the fact that people are actually talking about this and going, you know, I, I, I don't really like the call, but I don't really think, obviously, it's not why they lost. They were down 3 nothing. They weren't going to come back anyway. Well, we don't know that. You can't say things like that. Anything can happen. You cannot just toss something aside because, oh, well, they were down 3 nothing, so no rules apply. Like, it, it shouldn't work that way. That should never be your mentality to just let it go simply because of that. You can let it go for other reasons, but to say that it's just because, well, it didn't really affect anything. You had all these chances before that. Well, you know, that moment did affect things because, of course, then Kachuk scores with about, I don't know, four seconds left or something on that power play. They go up 4-3 and the series is over. So to me, yeah, it very much affected the outcome of that series, first of all. And second of all, you just can't let it go, even if you don't think it did affect the series. Uh, of course, on that goal, 
Sam Bennett was in front of the net and he put his stick between the goaltender's pads. Now, was there or was there not goaltender interference? This is another example where we say, oh, well, it didn't really affect the outcome. Because one of the questions we ask is, did the goalie have time to recover to make the save? And I don't think any of us are in any position to make that type of judgment. It doesn't matter. That goalie was prevented from being where he wanted to be at the time he wanted to be there. So whether a goal was scored five seconds later, three seconds later, or 15 or 20 seconds later, this affects where he's going to be. You, know, you always talk about those stories of someone was hit by a car and you say, well, if they had just walked 30 seconds earlier or if they just hadn't stopped to tie their shoe or whatever it is that caused them to be in that place at that time, this is the same thing. A goalie, whether or not he has a chance to reset after being interfered with, is irrelevant because we just already answered the question. Was he interfered with? Yes. If he needed to have time to reset then he was obviously pushed off from where he needed to be, and that's what required the reset, so we should have a call anyway. This is where my sort of rule idea for goaltender interference is. We shouldn't be calling goals off for incidental contact. If it was enough interference that you would take a goal off the board, then it should be enough interference that you would have called a penalty in that moment as well. And therefore, there should be a penalty. And then we wouldn't be worried about, well... Was it enough interference that he had time to reset? If you decided in that moment that it wasn't interference and you're allowing the goalie to reset and the play to continue, then we shouldn't be talking about it anymore. Don't tell me that it didn't affect the outcome of the goal because he had time to reset or make the save. Because, first of all, we've seen some goalies make some incredible saves just off reaction when they're caught out of position and then they come out of nowhere and launch themselves and make this heroic effort. So... We have no idea when to determine whether a goalie is truly down and out or not because they, they prove themselves to be incredibly athletic and are able to stun us sometimes with some of these grabs they make. So who are we to say how much of a player's contact affected them? We don't know that. And the bottom line is we certainly have no idea whether or not if that trip wasn't called or if this goal was called back for goaltender interference, we have no idea what would have happened in overtime and in the next three possibly games after that. We have no idea what would have happened. So we cannot base our opinions on whether or not it affected the outcome of the series. If you're enjoying this episode and want to be a part of the discussion, please take a moment to hit subscribe and leave a quick review so more people will be able to find the show. And the next time you're on YouTube, subscribe to the Tough Call channel where hundreds of comments are left every single day about the incidents I've covered here on this podcast, as well as videos of clean checks and more. Those are two great ways. You can find all my breakdowns of the incidents I cover here and many more at the Tough Call YouTube channel. And I'm also on Twitter, at Tough Call Pod. I'm a regular contributor and proud member of the Heavy Hockey Network. To support my other work, look for my contributions on the Heavy Hockey Network YouTube channel, as well as a few articles on the website, heavyhockey.com. Thanks for choosing Tough Call and enjoy the hockey.